0: What could be shifted, delegated? What are we not even realizing? It all comes down to communication then. It's having this open conversation between manager and employee, and that communication then takes us to the personalization.
1: Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the optimized workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. As workplace of the future trends emerge, the conversation between employee and employer has become quite collaborative. We see a real co-creation model developing of how to work where to work and the best places to work that are really being challenged and changed in the workplace. Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop, where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workspaces and places. And my guest today, I'm super excited about, Colleen Hock, is a sought after Workplace Dynamics expert and keynote speaker. She's the founder and CEO of The Corporate Refinery, a consulting and training firm that works with some of the world's largest companies to forge new paradigms for women and what leadership means for today's world. Colleen has a rich history and background. She's actually the co-author of two books, including one bestseller called Women Who Ignite. And I hope we really get some some tantalizing um, thoughts from that today. Uh, where she's worked with over hundreds of thousands of people in her LinkedIn learning courses. She's also a multiple-time contributor to Forbes magazine, and Colleen provides trainings to Fortune 500 companies and organizations such as Pfizer, Dell, Merck, Panasonic, and New York Life. Woo! What a background. So welcome, Colleen. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here, friend. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm super excited. I can't wait to hear more about uh, your book and just kind of what's on the horizon. So what's life been like for you over 2022? How are
0: things going and what's been showing up
1: for you lately?
0: Although my personal story of burnout happened nine years ago, unfortunately, the uh, rise in burnout over the past couple of years has kept me very busy, right? So uh, it's it's a blessing and a challenge at the same time. So this year I've been back out uh, delivering keynotes to a lot of conferences really specifically addressing the not only the issue of burnout but the mission that we're on which is to really show especially corporate corporate women uh, how they can continue to have a powerful career and extraordinary personal life that they can beat burnout and have what they want. Uh, we call it the and life, how to have both. We uh, don't want to have to choose one or the other, but that's really what's been uh, big and kind of all encompassing this year.
1: I love that. And and I think that's so um, timely And So important for people today with the the looming recession, right, coming out of COVID, going through the economic downturn, just going through so many different changes and challenges, and now we have a restructuring of what the workplace looks like today. I think that's a huge issue in terms of burnout and how to best fight it. So let's get into it, because I think our listeners would love to hear some tips and tools that they can use in everyday life. So I'm curious. First off, you know, what are you hearing from your clients on what they're seeing as some of the biggest challenges in terms of workplace today and what their employees are dealing with?
0: You know, what's interesting in 2020, Fran, I would have shared that organizations weren't taking burnout seriously. And that was true. However, we have absolutely seen a shift in the last eighteen months. Definitely, where organizations are taking it more seriously. They're more aware, and they're and they're taking some action. Uh, large organizations uh, such as Aon have actually created and hired their first ever, uh, you know, chief wellness officer, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. But when I'm speaking to individuals that I meet either at conferences or to our own clients, the challenge really is that these broad initiatives are are often too broad. They're addressing things from a very uh, generic standpoint, if you will. And oftentimes the well-being strategies that that we're seeing are are only reactive, right? So we are a fan. I love to see that we've got those well being strategies in place. I know you do a lot of work around that with your group, and that is great. We love seeing that. But on the front lines, in a proactive sense, we need a strategy there as well. And that's really where we come in to address that, is because what we find is that every single person we talk to the reasons for their burnout are uniquely theirs. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a different situation for every single individual. So again, I love that these well being resources are there kind of as a support system after we're already there, but what can we be doing to go in and address burnout from, you know, the forefront to Mm -hmm. start to mitigate that. So, That's a lot of the work that we're doing is speaking directly to executive women who they themselves are feeling the burnout, while at the same time working with managers and leaders on how can they be addressing their own burnout, but also mitigating their team's burnout. So that's, friend, what's been really interesting to see is loving the shift by organizations of saying, look, we got it, we've got to put some resources, but now we need to look at it and even layer deeper to the individuals.
1: Absolutely, that is so important. I love what you said around strategy and your own unique issue and uh, you know confronting problem because you are so right. Sometimes I think there's so many resources now that you see that are being offered. You know, you could see it from from the checkout line at a grocery store, you pick up a magazine and there's a thousand tips in that magazine. And then you go to work and they're offering a thousand different apps for you to deal with mental health and physical health. Then I think it's inundated today's employees so much that people are almost resistant to doing anything, right? They're almost have a paralysis around really approaching the issue. So, Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's dive a little bit deeper because I think that's a you're hitting on a really critical point. How do leaders of organizations, let's say you're in an organization and you're leading a team of five or even 50, how do you begin to approach strategy, as you mentioned, while you're not crossing any lines in terms of like HIPAA or any personal lines and you're keeping it professional? But how do you focus on strategy or even think about strategy?
0: Yes, I'm and I'm glad that you brought up about HIPAA because the strategy that we talk about is completely avoids those those crossing, potentially crossing those boundaries. So what what we're looking at is based on the research, uh primarily from Gallup. So Gallup found that there are some primary drivers to workplace burnout, uh, oftentimes associated associated with too much work, uh, and, uh Unrealistic time, you know, due dates, time pressures, lack of communication for managers, uh, poor manager support. So, those are all things that can absolutely be solved. So, without even getting into the full mental health conversation, right? These are very tangible and tactical things that can be addressed from a strategy standpoint. So, the first thing that we're looking at is thinking about the workload. And one of the most interesting things that we've really uh, kind of dived into this year is around non-promotable tasks, aka NPTs, if we've heard that phrase, NPTs. We have found that that has been an underlying culprit, especially when we are talking about women in the workplace. Uh, Managers are 50% more likely to ask women to take on non-promotable tasks, however, women are also 50% more likely to say yes when they're asked to take on a non Oh yes, I give, it, give it to me.
1: The more I can take on, the better, and then I burn myself out.
0: Correct. And so the strategy is to identify for the individual employees what, are their tasks what are their current responsibilities what does their workload look like and starting to break those down into which ones are per, are actually promotable things that they're doing that are going to help accelerate promotion advancement accelerate that acceleration and which are those that anybody could do. They're not tied into the company's vision or mission. And starting to weed out which ones are appropriate or not. Because look, the fact is that when people, employees, and this is for women and men, when employees want to move up, when they want to get promoted, yet they're taking on these non-promotable tasks, their answer is, I just work more because they don't want to give up the promotable tasks, right? So they just take on more and more and more. And it's also not as fulfilling. So that's the first strategy is to really evaluate what are the tasks that you're doing? And most people, you know, we, we know how this goes. You get busy in your corporate job and all, and you're not really taking time to assess what's most important. So that's, that's the first step is finding those and communicating with, with management to see what could be shifted, delegated. What are we not even realizing? And quite frankly, Fran, It all comes down to communication then. It's having this open conversation between manager and employee, and that communication then takes us to the personalization. That's where we can really get down into the nitty gritty and collaborate and find out what works for the individual, which should then help support the team and the greater organization.
1: Boy, this is rich. I can only imagine my audience is probably out there saying, yeah, 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 in their car as they're driving along. That's fantastic. So I'm hearing three things that you're saying are key drivers when they want to think about approaching strategy. Think about reducing the NPTs, right? So non-promotable tasks. Secondly, you mentioned the communication. So really upping the game on communication. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, Before it was okay to say that you know, maybe your communication was marginal, or if you weren't the best communicator, you could probably hide in a corner. But now, because Zoom has become so prolific, it's a part of our lives. It's not acceptable anymore just to be there and not really be there because it shows up right immediately on screen or even in person, if you ever get back in person, because it's so rare that people get to see you. And then finally, personalization, really personalizing that. So, As you take a look at those strategies that you just mentioned, what are you noticing then are shifts, perhaps, Colleen, in terms of where companies, you know, we always talk about, like, the leading companies or the companies that are at the top of their game or those that are setting the mark that people want to follow as benchmarks. What are companies doing now in terms of the shifts in this key area of really looking at how they can shift people and shift their mindset around these areas?
0: yes so you know one of them is what i spoke to earlier which is is putting together some sort of well-being initiative and whatever that looks like for the for the company so when when that's put in place that definitely sends a message to employees hey we hear you we care about you which then lends itself to the next piece companies and specifically teams that are successful are those who have managers that lead with humanity And this is what this all gets back down to. It's all about leading with humanity. This old school thought of leave our emotions at the door, you know, we've got, can't have emotions in business. It's just complete BS, right? We are actual human beings hardwired for emotion. It's going to come into the workplace regardless. So as a a successful leader is leading with humanity, acknowledging that each of the individual employees are, have their own emotions, feelings, thoughts, experiences that are contributing to their success or hindrance of their work performance. So those those successful companies have leaders who lead with that humanity. And then within that is that what we just talked about, the communication piece. And one thing that I will offer, and and this is within a larger uh, kind of six-step process, if you will. But well, one of the things that we coach our leaders to do in their uh, what we call effective one-on-ones is one of the steps is to ask, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how are you feeling professionally, and on a scale of one to ten, how are you feeling personally? And this does start to keep things, you know, where we are now addressing well-being, but it's protected because it's only as much as the person wants to share, and. By giving them the option to just provide a rating, a number, allows the leader to know, hey, where is my employee's mindset today, right? They just gave themselves a seven professionally and a five personally. They haven't said anything else. That's okay. It just allows that leader to, to maybe have a little bit more awareness or you know a different approach that they might take uh, and then it offers space for the employee to be able to share if they would like to if they're comfortable sharing the details behind that so those successful companies really are again having those well-being initiatives letting them know from an overall culture perspective we hear you we care about you but it comes down to the individual leaders who've got to be leading with humanity those companies, Those are the ones who are having the success right now.
1: You know, I would probably say those are probably the companies that you not only enjoy working with, you know, as a professional coach, but probably the ones that are really seeing the better results. I would probably imagine, right? They're seeing great results because they're willing to, you know, be vulnerable, be empathetic, put themselves out there. I, one of the things you touched on I love is is the humanity piece we call in our space we call it human centric, right so again keeping in mind that these are not just bodies that you work with but they are humans. <laughs> so yes. we you know we talk a lot about the optimized workplace, but you're optimizing everything from you know back-end workflows to the space that people sit in because these are humans. Right. So the days of the cubicle and the vanilla shell and the no light and we could care less what it smells like and we could care less about the aesthetics or if I could hear my neighbor. Those days are gone because employees are demanding better. They're demanding better sources. They're demanding more respect. They're demanding better uh, communication and hearing from leaders what's important. So I think you're you're spot on. And and a lot of times people don't hear from our perspective. You know, they just say, this is what I want. Check the box, come in and do the work. But you don't realize as experts in the field, um, I can only get the results that you're willing to allow me to get. And by that, it's, you know, how vulnerable are you willing to, to be? How much skin are you willing to put in the game? Mr. or Mrs. Corporate Leader, in terms of the work that we're going to do with you, you know, how much are you going to really let me roll up my sleeves and show you what we can do? And so often I think... Companies unfortunately handicap themselves, right? Because they they hire you to do your job as a professional coach, or they hire you to come in and do the training, and then they say, "Well, I, I, you know, no, I don't touch that. Oh, no, no, we can't do this. We can't do that." You know, I mean, can you speak to that? I'm
0: sure that happens a lot, right? Well, you know what's funny? I don't necessarily get that. I think because often you know, a lot of the groups that I'm working with, they're, they're open-minded, but here's what's so funny to me, friend, is what we're talking about leading with humanity or being human centric. It's the simplest thing to do. I see so many organizations who think, okay, I have to create this great culture, right? Employee retention is, is top of mind again, right? As we're, as we're in this situation. And they're like, (laughs) I have to create this entire you know, uh, program. I've got. I mean, even just me personally. Uh, back in my corporate days, they redid our office, and there was this game room. Right? It had had all the fun stuff in there, and it was like, you don't need to do that if your managers just lead with human beings, right? It's actually not that difficult. And mm-hmm. you mentioned a key word, which is just vulnerability. Guess what? Vulnerability is free. It is free. I can put two liters side by side. And I'm a little jaded, I will admit, because I come from a sales background in corporate. So sales definitely has these two types of leaders. One is, is that leader who's leading with humanity, who's doing the things that we've talked about, right? Open communication, revealing some vulnerability, all free things, versus the old school manager who feels like they have to do all of these perks and these contests to motivate all of these things that actually cost money, yet which one delivers the better result? It's always the one with humanity. So I find it so interesting that there can be such resistance to the simplest, most basic foundational principles of who people are. And when you lead with humanity, when you just simply, now look, I'm not talking about being friends. I'm I'm not talking about leading to be liked. I'm talking about leading for effectiveness, right? But when we connect with people as human beings, the effectiveness is that much greater than when we're trying to go in and artificially motivate people or or have these like you said this, you know, old school this is your cubicle and this is the lighting and I don't care what you think, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I'm I'm so curious. I know we talked about being vulnerable and vulnerability, but I mean, from your perspective, why do you think that is so hard? Do you think that people want you know? It goes back to authenticity, right? Letting people see who you really are and being willing to 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 kind of fold away or pull away some of the layers. Why do you think that is so difficult in this day and age of uh, you know TikTok and social and people you know putting themselves out there? And I certainly say you know while Sometimes there's complaints about the younger generation disease and the uh, what's the other one I can't think but millennials yeah the millennials yeah yeah I I do think that they do set a fantastic example of, hey, you know, today I didn't feel that great. And so, yeah, I didn't get all the sleep out of my eyes. And yeah, my shoes look a little twisted and things aren't looking perfect. But guess what? In fact, I was listening to NPR on the way in. And um, one of the, uh, I guess, the best new artists, I, I can't remember, she's a country artist, but she was nominated for a song called My Crooked Something. And I was like, that is such a great song. And they played a snippet of the song. And I was like, that is such a great song. Like she goes, My Crooked Life or something. Like I'm, you know, everybody's got a piece of quirky crookedness to them. So get over it. So I know I'm saying a whole lot, but why do you think that is so difficult for
0: people to realize, hey, it's okay to be honest and show a little bit of who you are? You know, so again, I'm going to compare that there's kind of like in general, right? Well, I'll put some generalizations out there. There's definitely some some leaders who are just kind of what I continue to call the old school leadership style, right? That they just, they don't believe you should share any vulnerability. They're just there to kind of crack the whip and, and lead by example. Then there's other leaders who they they don't even realize that they're not being vulnerable. They just, it's like, just not top of mind. They want to show up and lead by example. And they believe leading by example is just putting their best foot forward. And, and they're just, they literally just don't have any idea. It's to no fault of their own, right? Then there's others that they have been promoted into a leadership position because they were an amazing individual contributor. And -hmm. if you think about what gets an individual contributor promoted, it's them showing their best self all the time, right? They're always reaching that next level. They're exceeding expectations. So, In their mind, this is how you should be at work is always being your best. That's what got them promoted. So now it's hard for them to look back and say, wait a minute, actually, I, it's okay for me to reveal this. Um, They just kind of forget as well. I'll kind of throw in another, another reason. Uh, I actually heard this. I was on a, with a big farm and healthcare company. I was on their campus for an entire day working with their teams and Someone made the comment, they said, I think our leader forgets that we only have ever known them as already a leader. We didn't get to see their trials and tribulations, like all of the things that got them there. We, I think they just forget to share those stories of when it was hard for them, when it was challenging. So I think there's maybe just in general too, right? Kind of forget, don't realize it, don't know the importance. They're just kind of oblivious to it. Um, and then there's those who are thinking like, I can't do this old school. I have to be, you know, everything that is on this pedestal perfect. I think the other generations will start to open it. Here's the caution though, right? And I'm sure Fran, you see this is, you know, we don't want to be vulnerable for, for sake. There, there should be an intent behind, especially for leaders. There should be an intent as to, well, why am I sharing this? Why am I revealing some vulnerability? And there has to be intent purpose behind it. It can't be just going in to say whatever we want to say, which I would say, you know, the, the, the tale of the social media and how the younger generations are being brought up to just say, because I want to, because I have a captive audience, whoever is watching Mm -hmm. that doesn't quite translate into the workplace. There has to be intent behind it.
1: No, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's it's interesting. I think watching some of the shifts that are going on, I, I definitely feel like, you know, obviously this is the next generation coming on board. So they do have a seat at the table. They do have a say in things. And even though we may not completely agree, I have a very young team in my organization and I'm so inspired by how they really do push boundaries. They push back. Um, And sometimes when I allow myself to get outside of my comfort zone in terms of the way has already always operated, we're almost, you know, 30 years old as a a company, which is fantastic. But there's a way that we've done things up until now that I feel like this is the best way. And sometimes they push back on that. It's like, you know, well, Fran, what if we looked at, you know, going right? Or what if we looked at going down this crooked road? Or what if we just didn't do anything? And, you know, if it doesn't cost me anything, Mm -hmm. I say, okay, why not? And it's always amazing to me how some of those, you know, quirky ideas really do work. So I I think that there's got to be a meeting of the minds, definitely, in corporate. I think you're right that there's got to be always intentionality behind it, but there's got to be also a willingness to be, to have some humility and listen and realize. It's another one. So I was watching a a, a reality show last night, I have to be honest, (laughs) you know, telling on myself here and so music keeps coming up, but. This song I heard for the first time that I had never heard before by Tim McGraw, um, Be Humble, Humble and Kind. Oh, it hit my heart. I loved it. I mean, the words of that song were so prolific and impactful and made so much sense. And he just talks about life lessons, but it's true. Sometimes it's just about being humble and saying, you know what, just shut up and try something different. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, but there's no other way to say it. Just be willing to... Say, you know what, I don't have the best idea, or my ideas aren't always perfect, or why not shift and do something different? So I think that there's a lot that we could possibly learn from that. But I want to get back to something that you talked about a little bit earlier, because there's a shift that we're seeing on, on our side of the business um, when it comes to well-being that, and I think it's a little bit because of the recession, that companies are starting to cut back on their um, physical footprint, right? in terms of, you know, what they're offering in the workplace, and they're putting it back on employees to kind of figure it out. Um, not so much the mental health. I think companies have realized that, you know, with COVID and everything else, you if you don't, you know, be proactive and help people out from a mental health perspective, you're going to have some problems. But I do think that there is a, a cutback and a shift going on that way. And and I think it definitely has to do with the recession. But when it comes to the well-being piece, how involved would you say that leadership should be in terms of how they proactively approach well-being for their for their teams and oh, employees?
0: Wow, that's such a great, oh great question. So I think they need to be involved in several ways. I don't know to what percentage or quantity or or, or how I would necessarily put it. But first of all, they have to be taking care of their own well-being, right? They cannot sit and preach it or just talk about it. They've got to embrace it and model it. Um, I know, you know, during my lowest point, you know, I had 13 months where I was only sleeping four or five hours a week. I was doing nothing but working and I tried to hide it from my team. And I was definitely not serving as a good role model. Uh, So, you know, I learned my lesson about that. So they need, they need to be doing that. They also need to understand what the company's offerings are in terms of resources so that they can be sharing, because a lot of times there's resources available that the individual employees just aren't even aware of. So I do think um, as a leader, do, do I want to say it's your must-do responsibility? No, but I do think as a leader who leads with humanity, it would be really nice if you were sharing and reminding people of the resources that are available. Uh, I know that they would appreciate it. But you know, it's one thing that one thing that's interesting, friend, that you mentioned, the one place we are seeing a bit of a shift is because of this hybrid work model and leaders desire to get people back in the office. We are really trying to tie in, hey, the well-being and these in-person things that maybe from traditionally would have been a budget cut are actually a great anchor to bring people back in uh, because there can be so much socialization that happens within these kind of well-being initiatives. I'm sure, you know, a lot of what you do and that, I mean, that's the number one reason people actually do want to come back into the office is for the socialization, the connection with their peers. So tying the well-being into that is kind of an anchor point, I think really solves for what management wants to see, which is you know, people in the office and what people want to see, which is help support my well-being, my overall mental health, and get me back with, you know, to socialize and interact. So um, but leaders, I would say probably the other thing is you know, leaders are that communication pipeline between frontline employees and you know, senior leadership and and the C-suite. So leaders do have an active responsibility to be listening for, what that mental health is. Like I said, that simple question of give me on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling these days? What a great barometer to use for that, for leaders to communicate back to senior leadership. So I think that they do have quite a bit of involvement. It's almost just in several different facets, if you will, multiple touches, multiple touches across that, that um, kind of spectrum of well being and mental health.
1: That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, I think that you hit on uh, the hot spot. The socialization aspect is so critical and so key. It's really hard to have big picture thinking and meetings and collaboration, you know, through, you know, this tube. While it's very important and it serves a, a basis and a baseline, some of the best ideas I think for companies. I was I was at an event um a couple of weeks ago and, and the president of, of LinkedIn, CEO of LinkedIn was speaking and he talked a lot about, you know, what it's like to to be around that water cooler and talk and have that time to really, you know. You know, kick back and and have a cup of coffee or have a beer and have a conversation. And where you're just sitting back and talking, how those great big ideas came. Come and you know, he talked about some of the the, the shifts that they made and the pivots they made during COVID that really translated into you know billions of dollars. So. I think you're absolutely right. And and wellness has a way to bring that back. I remember back in the day when we created lots of challenges and, and fitness events and contests. And although we don't do as much of that anymore, I think the whole piece that we do around optimization, right, and really having people being in a workplace and optimizing that is so critically important. So you're, you're preaching to the choir here, and I'm hoping pe- folks are taking that away because socialization is critical. So as we kind of wind down our conversation, I'm so um, I'm, I'm so curious, what, you know, passion projects or events that do you have that are coming up maybe in 2023 that you're excited about or anything you'd like to share with our audience that uh, is kind of a key takeaway or things that you're looking forward to?
0: Yeah. So, in addition to you know speaking and our team going in and doing training with organizations, what I what lights me up, and it literally just happened again a couple of hours ago, uh, is we have a group for executive women who are trying to really have the and life. It's called the Five Star Society, and we're making some crazy changes next year. Uh, but we we've just had this community that comes together has been so beautiful. So. Um, I won't name the company, but it is a a major company. And one of our Five Star Society members just won the highest award that this company offers. She literally received it this morning. Um, And then just about four weeks ago, one of our other members made partner at her firm. So just that just lights me up to continue. Uh, Like I said, you know, this. For, for me, my personal mission and how you know the corporate refinery ever even came to be was because of my own personal story of burnout, where I thought at the end of 2013, I would my only option was to quit my job if I wanted to save myself or my family. And thank goodness I did not do that. I figured out how to have the things that I wanted at that time and make those shifts and to be able to bring that not only to organizations, but to individual women and then see them just excel beyond what what they ever thought was possible has just been amazing. So I'm excited to bring some new things uh, into the uh, following year.
1: Oh that's fantastic, Colleen. I,
0: I I could tell it lit
1: it lights you up to hear that your clients are being successful. I always say the best um the best recognition of success is when a client can fire you or has no reason to hire you, but they want to work with you anyway. I I just love that. So that's fantastic. Congratulations. And continued success, because I know that makes you feel good and and inspires you to keep going and keep creating and keep curating great, great opportunities and programs for your clients. So if you want to learn more about Colleen Hawk, please make sure you look at our show notes um, this afternoon. She's doing fantastic things when it comes to women in the workplace and women in leadership, especially to fight burnout. So thank you so much for being with us. And again, this is your host, Fran Bishop from the Optimized Workplace, where again, it's one step at a time, one micro change at a time that really can optimize the well-being and sustainability of your people and your workspaces and places. It's been a delight to talk to Colleen. And thank you for joining us this afternoon.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.